day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Couldn't cut, any cut again. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Kadagi, to all my friends and relatives in four directions, you are listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot, and we discuss local and national Native news and events. And as you know, Wendy, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. This portion of the show is brought to you by Native American Community Clinic in Minneapolis, honoring health and tradition. Hey, a lot going on on Turtle Island, Wendy. Welcome. We're going to be talking to our sacred animal uh, section here, and then we're going to have Dr. Stately on. And then we uh, do the news that you don't hear anywhere else, and we have Ogama standing by. And uh, Ogama, welcome. And uh, let's uh, talk about things that other people don't talk about or, or want to talk about. <laughs> sure. Oh, wow. uh, Bonjour, relatives. This is Ogamaganuakwe. I am a citizen of the Red Lake Nation in northern Minnesota, and I have some news and information for you here on Native Roots Radio. The first thing that I want to mention is I want to remind everybody next Tuesday is Red Dress Day. That's the day that we honor the memory and the uh, still grieving relatives of our missing and murdered Indigenous women, Two-Spirit, and uh, other relatives. So make sure that you are taking the time to find your local event. I know there's events in the Twin Cities in Minnesota in Duluth and Bemidji, Minnesota. And I'm sure there's other uh, events throughout uh, the nation here on Turtle Island. This is an event that is recognized every year for, gosh, I don't know how many years, Robert, since Red Dress Day started for MMIW, maybe about um, five or seven years. Yeah, I know, Wendy, we went to the first one and that had been about six. Yeah, long time. Yeah, it's hard to count with uh, COVID. Right, right, exactly. There were a few years off there, but um, really looking forward to being down the Twin Cities uh, next Tuesday myself uh, to be there for the uh, Minnesota India Women's Sexual Assault Coalition March that they have every year. And then uh, concurrently, or I should say on the next day, the uh, Rise and Repair Rally, which is happening at the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul on Wednesday, February 15th. The Rise and Repair Rally is a rally for Indigenous rights and climate justice. The event starts at about 11 a.m. at the uh, Capitol and uh, goes until about 4 p.m. There's going to be a circle dance and a rally at the Capitol Rotunda. And then from 2 to 4 p.m., there's constituent meetings with legislators and a postcard drop, uh, which is really great. Uh, So... If you are uh, going to come, uh, just make sure you go to riseandrepair.org, uh, drop in an RSVP, and you can get some information on getting there on uh, where to park and where to go if you need uh, accessible options. So, uh, again, Rise and Repair Rally, January 15th at the Minnesota State uh, Capitol. However, uh, Robert, were you down at the federal courthouse uh, today in Minneapolis? Uh, yes, I was. And there were speakers. I posted them on my own personal uh, Facebook. Uh, Indian Collective was there uh, do, uh, shooting the whole thing. And it was about hour long and speeches and um, got to see uh, Mike Gozi opened it up with a prayer. So it was, it was good. And those have been going on all over the nation. And why were you there? For Leonard Peltier. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, February 6, 2023 marks 48 years uh, since Leonard Peltier was imprisoned for aiding and abetting the murder of a federal police officer, uh, not actually murdered, but aiding and abetting. And the circumstances that surrounded his uh, trial were also uh, a little bit fishy. They, they were never really proven uh, within, you know, without a shadow of a doubt uh, in a court of law that that had even happened, uh, that he had aided and abetted for that murder. And uh, many people have been referring to Leonard as a political prisoner uh, for many years, including international organizations. And uh, today in Minneapolis at the uh, U.S. Federal Courthouse in Minneapolis was the Rise Up rally for Leonard Peltier. But there were also rallies uh, throughout the nation at federal courthouses uh, where people showed up and um, 
demanded uh, clemency or the release of Leonard Peltier. Uh, some of those cities included Rapid City, South Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, Tampa, Florida, Santa Fe, New Mexico, San Francisco and San Jose and Sacramento, California, uh, Columbia, Tulsa and Washington, D.C., of course. So um, those are some really exciting events that happened. Uh, there was also worldwide events that happened in Germany, Italy, France and Switzerland uh, over in Geneva. So really powerful events. And I, I'm glad you were able to be there, Robert. I'll have to go check out yeah. some of that footage a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And uh, there was a letter uh, Leonard uh, was written uh, or Leonard wrote and was read during the um, during the uh, action today at the courthouse. So if, if you let me know, uh, because I have it in front of me. Oh, I was going to say I have it in front of me as well. So I guess it's up to you if you'd like to read it or I could read it as well. Uh, seeing that Leonard's a guy, I'll do it as Leonard. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll even put uh, a little aim music in the in the background here just to to uh, create uh, the, the whole vibe. Correct ambiance. Yes, yeah. Ogama. Yes. Greetings, my friends, supporters, loved ones. I know I've probably said this or things like this many times. Every time I say it, it is as heartfelt as the first time. From the bottom of my soul, thank you for your support. Living in here year after year, day after day, week after week, plays on your concept of time and your process of thought beyond what you can imagine. Every day I have to say a prayer in the morning about keeping my spirit up and the spirits of our people. The struggles of the American Indian movement, which are the struggles of all of us, have never ended for me. They go on week after week, month after month, year after year. When I speak, sometimes I think I may sound a bit too sensitive, but my love for my people and the love for supporters have shown me over the years is what keeps me alive. I don't read our letters. I don't read your letters with my intellect. I read them with my heart. My imprisonment is just another example of the treatment and policies of our people have faced since the arrival of the first Europeans. I'm just an ordinary man and I come from a live and live, let, live and let live society like all our people. And yet we have had to live in a state of survival ever since Columbus landed. There's nothing about my case, nothing about the Constitution, which is a treaty between the American people and the government that warrants my continued imprisonment. They have historically imprisoned or killed our people, taken our land and resources. Anytime the law was in our favor, they ignored the law or changed the law to benefit their agenda. After they've gotten what they wanted, a generation later, some politician would apologize. They have never negotiated sincerely with us unless we've had something they wanted and could not take, or we have an embarrassment before the world, or we have some sort of opposition. The opposition has always been the dominant reason for them making treaties with us. I could go on and on the mistreatment of our people and on and on about my case, but the United States said it. The United States has kept me locked up because I'm an American Indian. The only thing that really makes me different from other American Indians who have been mistreated, had land taken, or been imprisoned by our government is that it is all a matter or, or court record in my case. The violation of my constitution rights has been proven in court. The fabrication of every piece of evidence used to convict me has been proven in court. The United Nations itself's compromise of 193 nations has called for my release. Nothing, noting that I am a political prisoner. In my case, as a political prisoner, 
does not have to be a prisoner exchange. The exchange they need to make is from their policy of injustice to a policy of justice. It does not matter what your color and is are, black, red, white, yellow, brown. If they can do it to me, they can do it to you. The Constitution of the United States is hanging by a thread. Again, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, mostly sincere, do your best to educate your children. Teach them to defend themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually, and make them aware of our history. You know, I just have a little bit more to read, Wendy. Um, this is kind of hard to read from a person that's been in prison for 48 years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, I uh, could imagine. We're going to hit the break here, and we're a little behind on the break. But Do you want to finish it up when we come back? I just got a, a, a quick line here. It says, teach them to plant food forests or any plant that will provide them in the future. Again, my heart to yours. Plant a tree for me in the spirit of Crazy Horse, Leonard Peltier. Mm. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. I heard sex trafficking happens a lot in Indian country. What is that? Here are some of the real reasons why sex trafficking happens in Indian country. Unequal gender roles that were forced on us by colonization. Communities don't have enough resources. Silence around domestic and sexual violence. Lack of attention and justice for missing and murdered indigenous people. There's a lot of behavior that keeps our communities out of balance. These are just a few true reasons why native communities are targeted by traffickers. When these acts of violence happen in our communities, it opens us all up for exploitation. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, Ogama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Metro State University invites you to explore how to grow your knowledge and advance in your career at their graduate program's preview day, Saturday, February 11th. Learn about more than 25 master's degrees, graduate certificates, and doctoral degree programs. Meet our extraordinary faculty and discover resources available to help you take the next step in your career. Sign up today at metrostate.edu slash preview day. Change the world your way. Metro State University. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is brought to you by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Oh. 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 Hey, hey, we're um, we got Wendy on today, and uh, we got some updates from Wendy in our sacred animal portion of the show. Uh, Wendy, you've been an animal advocate for many years, and you've also been a co-star of the show for over six years, so I just want to welcome you and uh, let us have what you have. Yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is Hanajihihani. That means cares for them. I was given that name by my dega, Curtis. Curtis goes by Mashke Hanajinga, which means walks on white clouds. I'm a humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level. It's always my pleasure to do that, but I'm doing something really exciting tomorrow. Robert, I will be at the Minnesota state capitol for Wolf Day. 
Yes. Howling for Wolves, uh, organization fighting for justice for wolves, is uh, hosting an event called Wolf Day at the oh. Capitol. Yeah, the Minnesota State Capitol. Um, it starts at 10 a.m. If you're not signed up and you want to come down, just show up. They are taking walk-ins. Uh, we will be in the middle of the state capitol at the rotunda, beneath the rotunda in, in the tunnel, I, I think it's room B15, um, at 10 a.m. you could show up. And what we're going to be doing there is asking our legislators uh, to please make concessions for our Minnesota state wolves because here's the thing, they're protected right now, so we don't have to worry about uh, a lot of hunters going out there and killing them all. Uh, but if the... Wolves are taken off the Endangered Species Act. Guess what? Minnesota is required, I'm going to say that word again, required to have a wolf hunt. Now, how crazy wow. is that? Yes, to wow. have a required wolf hunt. And let me tell you something. When they require it, a lot of hunters come out to take advantage of that and blow the wolves to smithereens. Ask our Wisconsin relatives. Yes, yes. Uh, that's what exactly what happened. So what we're going to do is we're going to go down to the uh, Minnesota State Capitol, and I have an appointment with my uh, Senator, Erin Murphy, and I have an appointment with my House uh, representative, who is uh, Dave Pinto, and I'm going to talk to them about why it's important to save wolves in Minnesota. And I have a sheet here, and it has um, facts and myths. And you'd be really surprised about some of um, these facts and myths. So, uh, well, let's just talk about this fact. Fact. Unlike deer and other species hunted in Minnesota, wolves live in social packs and depend on each other for survival. The social structure of the pack determines their reproduction. All members of the pack are essential to raise the one litter per year, the average pack size in Minnesota of 3.6 wolves. So only the alpha male and the alpha female in a wolf pack can mate and have a... Um, puppies, or they called kits, uh, once per year. But if that, if one of those animals, the male or the female, the alphas, are killed, then the other, other I was going to say people, <laughs> the other wolves in the pack will be able to reproduce, hence causing more wolves to be born. Yeah. So killing a wolf endangers other wolves by disrupt, disrupting their pack. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, and uh, the average pack size in Man Minnesota is 3.6 wolves. So it's usually uh, the mother, father, and their children who make up a wolf pack. Um, so a lot of hunters really are up in arms about this because they're like, if you uh, kill the wolves, then we um, then we don't have moose, moose, you know, moose and deer to kill. Right. Okay. So wolves are a myth. Here's a myth. Yes. Wolves are responsible for the decline in the moose and deer populations. And here's the fact. Wolves and moose have coexisted for thousands of years. Moose are in decline in places where there are no wolves, New Hampshire. A moose and moose are on the rise where there are wolves. Isle Royale, Royale, Isle Royale. <laughs> Studies and experts point to the climate change, parasites, and disease as causes for the decline in moose. Deer numbers where were at the highest when wolves were at their highest numbers in the early 2000s. As a pre predator, the wolf kills the weakest, unhealthiest member of the deer population. Primarily, uh, I'm sorry, preliminary studies show that wolves uh, disperse deer that spread brain worm to moose. Thus, when wolves are in the landscape, they help slow the spread of brain worm to moose 
by moving deer away from the moose. Um, so there are a lot of good things that uh, our Minnesota wolves do. Um, and the Star Tribune had an uh, article in it. It was actually like a big article. It was dated January 19th, uh, 2023, uh, in the Star Tri- Tribune, and it was by Greg Stanley. And the title of it is, When Humans Kill a Single Wolf, It Can, be, it can Decimate an Entire Wolf Pack. Uh, so you could go ahead and take a look at that um, uh, article in the Star Tribune uh, by that article, and it's really important. But another um, wolf uh, fact and myth, uh, myth, wolf hunting and trapping decreases wolf livestock conflict. So ranchers are very upset about the wolf being around and they truly believe that the wolf is killing their cattle now here's the facts wolf hunting and trapping causes unpredictable effects of wolf livestock conflicts including increase in conflicts the killing of wolves either in a hunt or of or of livestock conflict causes unstable packs and leads to more wolf deaths deaths and more packs of younger wolves. Ooh, that was a sentence. A scientific <laughs> study by the Washington State University published in December 2014 found that killing wolves re, um, resulted in an increase in predation on livestock by wolves the following year. Non-lethal methods such as guard animals and carcass removal can effectively reduce wolf livestock conflicts. Um, Yes, so if um, uh, the calf dies, uh, the the farmer should take the, the... you know, animal's body out of there so yeah. it doesn't um, attract the wolves. Exactly. Right. But, you know, uh, you could, the, the farmers and Howling for Wolves and also the Humane Society of the United States have programs uh, for ranchers that they will give them free uh, items to help deter the wolf. So alarms to scare scare devices, alarms, they'll go and show you how to use them. They'll help you set them up. Fencing and flattery. So flattery is where they have like moving flags around that blow around in the wind that would scare the wolves away. Um, And we need uh, human presence, right? Also the the guard dogs that we talked about. So we really want to have non-lethal methods to prevent conflicts between livestock and wolves. Uh, But this is really another thing where uh, the ranchers really have um, big lobbying power in Washington, D.C. and in Minnesota and other places where cattle were you know, range uh, on the roaming range. Uh, So we really, um, and they put all these false, uh, you know, facts out there, right? When they're really myths. Uh, So we're really around, uh, and Howling for Wolves is there uh, to educate people and to really, you know, get get away from those myths and really talk about the facts. Um, to save our Minnesota state wolves. So I hope that I talk clearer and better when I go see my senator and House representative tomorrow at the um, state capitol, and I'm excited to be there. So if you want to come down, um, just show up at the state capitol tomorrow, Minnesota state capitol, uh, at the basement of the rotunda b15 hey is there any uh jason asks is there any number to call or email or website or is that uh you could could go on howling for wolves their event page and you could find out more information there right on hey peeny gigi wendy you haven't lost it at all great job up next dr (laughs) dr stately you're listening to native birds radio presents i'm awake stay with us JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. 
Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. On this Queer Book Save My Life, we talk with LGBTQ guests about the queer books that save their lives. On our next episode, we chat with fundraiser Neil Osvey about the book Bisexual America, Myths, Truths, and Struggles of an Invisible Community by William Burleson. This book shook Neil as he saw himself represented for the first time. Plus, William joins us to talk about writing to preserve bisexual history. Listen to This Queer Book Save My Life at 7 a.m. every Saturday morning right here on AM 950. The appliance industry is suffering from major delays with shortages on the horizon. The specialists at Warner Stelling have the area's best selection with thousands of appliances in stock for fast pickup or free delivery. Shop 10 Minnesota stores or at warnerstellion.com. Hey, it's Tom. Many local utility companies and cities have recently renewed incentives for installing solar panels in 2023. This is great news for people looking to go solar, but the electrical grid can only handle so many systems being added to their current infrastructure. The electrical grid has limited space for connecting solar energy systems, so it's important to secure your place on the grid and go solar before someone else takes your spot. All Energy Solar is hosting a winter webinar where you can learn more about local solar incentives and electrical grid congestion. These webinars are free and open to the public, no matter if your property is residential, commercial, agriculture, or even something else. And during your webinar, an expert from All Energy Solar will be available to answer all of your questions. If you're someone who has thought about going solar but are unsure if it's right for you, these webinars are a perfect way to learn more. Interested in attending? Visit allenergysolar.com slash webinar to register for an event and see what incentives are available to you. Hi, this is Laura, and I want to tell you about my family's favorite thing. It's our wood stove. We bought it about 14 years ago from Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. And see, the wood stove has actually paid for itself because we can keep the main area that we live in toasty warm with this great moist heat. But more important than saving money, it has actually improved our lives. Having a fire simplifies life. It provides comfort. It sort of takes the chill out of winter. I'm Peter Solak. In 1977, I started Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. And I experienced the simple joy of warming myself by a fire. I also realized that the place and the way we embrace fire has evolved in a diversity of forms and styles. So at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, we have brought together the widest selection of our fireplace products and technical knowledge in the Twin Cities. Our mission is to use our knowledge to help you choose the design and function that is right for you and your home. Visit Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces today and find the right fire for you. Let Next Chapter Booksellers help you find the perfect Valentine's Day gift for your significant other. After all, books last longer than flowers and are better for you than chocolate. The friendly staff at Next Chapter Booksellers are great at making personal recommendations, no matter the taste of your special someone. Plus, they have beautiful cards to add a little something to your gift. So sweeten this year's Valentine's Day with something thoughtful from Next Chapter Booksellers, off Snelling and Grand in St. Paul. More at nextchapterbooksellers.com. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for rain and snow tonight with a low around 25, Tuesday sunny with a high near 33, and Wednesday sunny with a high around 36. Bruner's Supper Club has an exciting mix of shows on both the main stage and the more intimate Dunsmore Jazz Room. Find the concert experience that's right for you at croonersmn.com. And before or after your show, check out the new Maggie's Lounge, a perfect spot to visit with friends. That's Crooner's Supper Club off Moore Lake and Highway 65. Here, I am in uh, Coleman, one U.S. Penitentiary, and I'm listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is brought to you by MN350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. And I want to correct myself, Robert. No. Yes, I was wrong. So what? I, what? What? I said that if the wolves were taken off the Endangered Species Act, that Minnesota would require a wolf hunt. That is wrong. The DNA, the DNR, <laughs> oh my God, Sound the like DNR may have a, a hunting. 
may have hunting. It is not required. And Howling for Wolves defeated oh. the mandatory bill last year. So way to go, Howling for Wolves. And uh, Jason, you wanted to know who you could call to discourage a wolf hunt um, and protect the wolves. Again, touch with your state senator in your area and your house representative and just give them a call and ask them to do so. Right that on. would be very helpful. Right on, Wendy. And just a quick reminder, our lieutenant governor is in the Wolf Clan, so That's we right. always like to bring that up. And we have Dr. Stately here. It seems like months since we've seen him, huh, Wendy? It's been months since I've seen him because <laughs> I haven't been on the show on Monday and I haven't been on the show for a while. So as you know, Duly you, as you could say, <laughs> I'm very rusty. <laughs> Welcome, Good Dr. Good evening. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to see you, Wendy. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And good to hear Killer down there at your feet. He's uh, growling on something. He's actually growling over there at my bro my son, rather his brother. Stop! <laughs> Put the dog. Thank you. Yeah, we haven't hey. even howled yet. He's getting ahead of us. I know. Watch out! Like if, I, if we howl, he'll walk right over here. <laughs> yeah, we'll <laughs> wait until that uh, the last segment to do that. Dr. Stately, how's it going? Um, geez, we, uh, Wendy and I have relatives, and I'm looking on Facebook that uh, COVID is still a thing, boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure is. Sure is. Um, well, it's interesting, you know, I was listening to that radio station that we don't ever talk about, and um, they were talking about how, like, they're going to end the, um, like, like, the, a lot of the programming that helps to, like they closed down some of their testing sites. They closed right. down, um, uh, that all happened this, um, it'll happen this month because, um, you know, essentially the, um, the uh, emergency declaration is coming to an end, um, right? Right. And a lot of the thought process there, I know there's quite a few people, especially I think, think that people kind of further out, um, further out, out state, they might like not have um, the resources necessarily to test or to get their tests. Like they live far from some local hospitals or pharmacies or those kinds of things. Like that can be challenging. The emergency declaration also paid for, you know, you to get those free COVID tests mailed to your house yeah. that either came from the state or either from the feds. And th that, the winding down of that period, um, is going is going to mean that people will test less right test less frequently um and i know that there's a whole group of people who weren't testing anyway they would make the assumption that if they were sick they you know i don't know how they made the decision if they had COVID or not um if they weren't testing they might have you know did that like that <laughs> which way is the wind blowing <laughs> yeah exactly like oh it's just allergies i think today so yeah. um but that's one of the challenges I think that we're going to be seeing over the next several weeks, if not months, is that just less testing. We won't we won't have a lot of um, uh, a line of sight into how many people are actually getting sick and how many people are actually how many cases there are. It'll just significantly dwindle, which what is a concern, I suppose. So. What does a, a tribe do? And I know um, we're a sovereign nation, for instance, and um do they follow the federal government do they do they make their own decisions is the funding going away for the our tribes i think that's a a question for me as uh i'm a legislator for our nation and this is coming up yeah well i think that um you know the the funding mechanism that paid for a lot of the emergency um you know that um that when the president declared a um uh, a national emergency, it, it opens up a lot of resources nationally at the federal level to sort of um, leverage and to sort of kind of get resources to like cities and counties and tribes and such and states that um, with the winding down of that, um, that, that mechanism as well, um, those resources will be, will be drying up right to states and to, to, to tribes, tribes have um, because they're sovereign nations, and many of them have their own public health um, uh, departments or divisions or entities. They can make 
some of those decisions for themselves about where to shift resources towards. But I think that, you know, by and large across the United States tribes are um, one of those communities um, or um, <clears throat> groups of people that are, um, you know, historically disinvested in by, across the United States, you know, and so even if they do have their own public health systems, they're probably not robustly funded. Right. So I'm wondering, you know, do do the nations, and I'll get after the uh, away from this after you answer this. Do the these sovereign nations across Turtle Island do they respond in a different way than the federal government when it comes to um, just? I, I I guess you know I'd hate to say okay it's over and then some of my tribal members die of covid you know what i mean i don't I want that hanging over my head in, in a sense of making some kind of law along with the federal government if it's too soon um well unless congress were to re to enact something that extended that um that declaration or unless um you know um biden declared it um president biden declared it there would be limited resources to sort of like, you know, all those, all that money comes from a specific fund within the federal government that is designed specifically for federal emergencies and disasters, right? So um, he has limited ability to sort of like, um, to, to do the, 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 those things as an executive, um, uh, you know, and lots of discussion at the federal level and also ironically at the state level as well about, you know, um, executive overreach you know, the legislature and um, executive in office who are elected officials, um, you know, <clears throat> make executive decisions um, of this nature. Sure. So those things change that. But tribes, um, tribes have probably other resources as well. They could probably get some funding from like direct funding from entities, federal entities like FEMA, um, CDC, HRSA, um, uh, those kinds of places. Um, but those are usually um, block grants and those kinds of things as well. And I think one of the things I would say is like, you know, that's the, that's the nature of sovereignty is that you do get to sort of like develop your own plan for like how you're going to address a public health strat uh, crisis within your, um, hey, Cash, Colin, Mr. Colin Cash, shout out to you too. Um, uh, uh, that tribes have that authority under their jurisdiction as sovereign nations to sort of develop their own strategies and their own plans for like how they're going to address public health emergencies within their um, their boundaries of their nation. And so they don't lose that sovereignty whether they have resources to do it or not. They still get to develop the plan. Yeah. When do you? Well, I was just saying, Robert, what have I been doing every day since I got back from New York? And while I was in New York before I left, I tested for COVID. Yeah. Robert thinks I'm crazy, but I test myself like every day only because I was with two people for a lot of time. And one of them ended up having COVID. Um, so and I've had a cold a little bit of a sore throat. So I've been testing every day. I come up negative, but I'm, you know, I'm paranoid about it and i know those tests are very expensive if i had to go and pay them if i didn't have insurance i wouldn't yeah. probably test and i'd be walking around with possible covid spreading it yeah. to other people yep yep that's like that is the danger we're in so i think some of the challenges as well as i heard somewhere on the radio i forget where not not on npr but um <laughs> other news stories talking about um you know that matt the um the vaccine manufacturers and also the testing manufacturers are going to increase the price of the tests um the cost of the tests um part of that is probably related to like you know and the healthcare, by and large, really, it's just like, you know, you know, it is a challenge. Like the the insurance companies, especially the really big ones, um, do control a lot of like what's covered and what's not covered. Um, and because they have so much tremendous clout and political clout and economic clout, they can do things like, well, we're not going to pay you the full cost of that test. Um um, you know, because we're, we're buying them in bulk or we're providing them in bulk to our 
to our enrollees, we're going to pay you 75% of what that test is worth, right? And so the people who manufactured the test and the people who are sort of manufacturing and distributing the vaccines and the treatments and those kinds of things, they want, you know, they, they don't want to um, lose their profits either. But, you know, I think it's always a challenge because, you know, I think part of our, part of our national conversation around some of this is like, you know, they use federal dollars. Like there was a tremendous amount of money that the feds put into developing vaccines and developing mm -hmm. the strategies to be able to test for these, to create these technologies. And so, you know, there's debates on either on both sides of that conversation about, you know, whether they should be allowed to be able to set the price or create the margins for those things. Well, the we live in a capitalistic society, so they get to do yeah. those things. Hey, Dr. Stately, uh, we're going to take off here for a second, but I really uh, want to touch base about uh, the big earthquake in uh, Turkey and Syria because I know you lived in California for many years and uh, there's 3,000 people that are known deceased and our prayers go out to them. Mm, so, so sad. It is sad. We'll yeah. be uh, right back Very with sad. Dr. Stately, uh, CEO of the Native American Community Clinic, uh, Wendy. Mm -hmm. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States, and 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's live and let howl. Metro State University invites you to explore how to grow your knowledge and advance in your career at their graduate program's preview day, Saturday, February 11th. Learn about more than 25 master's degrees, graduate certificates, and doctoral degree programs. Meet our extraordinary faculty and discover resources available to help you take the next step in your career. Sign up today at metrostate.edu slash preview day. Change the world your way. Metro State University. Progressive change doesn't just happen. It takes dedication and a lot of hard work. 25 years ago, the data bank pioneered a new generation of software tools for progressive organizations here in Minnesota. Since then, thousands of organizations have used the data bank to create progressive change. Today, the data bank continues to help progressive organizations like AM950. To have the data bank help your organization build capacity and create more change, text CHANGE to 612-540-0500 or go to thedatabank.com. The data bank, a quarter century of dedication and hard work for progressive organizations. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves. Please join Howling for Wolves on Wolf Day, Tuesday, February 7th, 2023 at the Minnesota State Capitol. You can sign up on Howling for Wolves event page. Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake and this is Robert Pilot. And this portion of the show is brought to you howling by Howling oh my for God. Wolves, protecting what? wolves for future generations. <laughs> it is windy. Oh. He's a little rusty. I'm very rusty. We're sending you back to uh, broadcast yes, school. Yes, please send me away. <laughs> oh, send you away. <laughs> Good one. Yes. How many earthquakes uh, did you? Were you in uh, L.A. during the '89 by any chance? Oh yeah. In, you were there. Wow. Yeah. I was there in 89. I was there in, um, I think it was 94 or 90, 95. Anyway, the one where all the bridges fell, like, you know, all the on ramps and stuff like that. Well, that was 89, wasn't it, during the World Series? 
No. Um, well, there was, you know, there's it's California. More than one? Earthquakes. There's, like <laughs> one every, there's like one every minute in California, for God's sake. You know? Okay, you, you got me there. <laughs> um, but um, I remember, so I moved to California when I was 23 years old, and I left, you know, left Minnesota to um, go, and, you know, I didn't really, I had this little apartment in Hollywood, um, right down from um, Griffith Park. It was like, you know, down the street from Griffith Park. Um, which people don't know who Griffith Park is. Griffith Park is where um, uh, um, James Dean and Natalie Wood shot their famous scene where they're like, you know, um, uh, on the top of the mountain. Oh. For that, for that one moving. Um, I think it was um, not East of Eden, the other one. Um, <clears throat> but. Um, without a cause? Yeah, without a cause. Rebel without a cause. And um, I remember, like, I was sleeping. I was, like, all I could afford in this, you know, th this is how long ago this was. So I think I had, like, a little tiny one-room apartment that had a bathroom and, like, something of a kitchen um, that we rented for, like, you know, I don't know, $225 for the month or something like that. This is like really long time ago, but like sleeping in my bedroom. And then like, I was only in California for like, I think three weeks. And all of a sudden in the middle of the night, I hear like this bang and this rattling. And I like wake up and jolted out of sleep by this sound and like just chaos. And my first, I heard the windows rattling and the door rattling. And I thought, Oh my God! Somebody's trying to break in our house, right? <laughs> and jump up and I like run to the door to open up the door. Like, and I don't know what I was thinking I would do. Like, when I opened up the door, and these people who were trying to break in were standing there. But I was like, you know, I was half asleep. And then um, my partner at the time goes, "It's not. They're not breaking in. We're having an earthquake." And he goes, "You can't run outside in an earthquake. Like things fall. Like it grabs me and pulls me back in." And so it was like my first. Like I think I was only there for like a month. And I remember just thinking, like, my first thought was, like, this is for the birds. I'm going back to Minnesota. You have a lot of time to, like, track a, um, track a, um, a tornado. Like, you don't get surprised like this by anything. <laughs> and that was, like, my first. So, but, yeah, but I stayed. I stayed for 20 years. And um, I, had a, I lived through a lot of earthquakes. And a lot of them were really, like, terrifying. Wow. The last big one I was in was that big, huge one that like, like centered right outside of um, um, Northridge, and it like you know bridges. I lived really like literally minutes from the um, uh, um, ten freeway, and like the on ramps like you know buckled. Our freeway system was like all messed up, and like my my bed was like going like this. Wow. Wow. I, I felt like Linda. I felt like Linda Blair, like without the pea soup. Right. I was going to say Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, but I like the, that the too, Linda Blair. That too. Uh, yeah. The I Linda might have Blair. Saw you on a, when I seen you yeah. earlier. So the safest place to stay if you experiencing an earthquake, where is that? I mean, is in Minnesota. <laughs> I would have thought it was outside. Like I was with you, Doctor Stately. No. I would not want to be in a building. The reason they tell you I'd like not outside. to run outside is because things can be falling. So, like you know, I was just oh. reading this thing about the Buffalo, New York. Buffalo had a Buffalo had a man. Buffalo is getting hammered this year. Yes, they really you are. Know, like nineteen thousand feet of snow and like a I'm, you know, being no uh, super bowl here. no super bowl that's another <laughs> tragedy right and um but also Hard like they're just being hammered and here's the thing is like um the you know when you in a like this was like the reason why like i didn't dawn on me like okay you don't run outside like when you live in a big huge metropolitan area where there's a bunch of buildings with stuff that are way above you and high above you that have right. glass and all these other things that could fall on you right it's like you know uh -oh. oh yeah you don't run outside you stay you're supposed to stay inside it was funny because like them. my when that happened like my first instinct was to run into the bathroom and lay down in the bathtub but i was like well that's stupid because like that's what you do for for a tornado <laughs> and so they were, it was like i somebody had to teach me very quickly and like you know disaster management will do stay in the door you find like the most 
you know, where your strongest um, place is in your house and you stand underneath that doorway so things fall to either side of you. Then you hope that this guy doesn't show up on a bike. Right. And your little dog, too. <laughs> I, that was my Wicked Witch impersonation, mm-hmm. Wendy. I, hurricanes with the storm surge, you get on the roof. <laughs> See, if yeah, you actually yeah. left the house and gone to higher ground before yeah. you get I oh. I don't think I've worked I live I don't think I've been through a hurricane, but I'm was with my sister the summer I turned 16, 1979, and um went down and stayed with her and her husband and they we had a like not a hurricane, but a what's it called? A um a tropical like, storm and holy cow i was driving across the causeway from st petersburg our tampa to st petersburg and literally i was with my brother-in-law and we were on that little causeway and i was in his little ford mustang like not the nicer one the ford mustang twos which like had you know which you know had m- multiple issues at least it wasn't a pinto um and though and the waves were coming over the causeway and splashing onto the car and like coming up into the went into the vents to get my feet wet. And I was like, Whoa. and I was like, okay, what I'm learning from these experiences, I need to keep my little A right here in Minnesota. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Well, Wendy, you've done some hurricanes in New York. Uh, I have. Uh in like I, 1985, I was in uh on Long Island, and we had Hurricane Gloria. And, G-L-O-I, Gloria. No, Gloria, Gloria. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that That's disco song. Too. But, yeah, we all had to um, Got your number. evacuate <laughs> and ride out the storm. It was, uh, you know, my, we stayed at my mom's house, but it's, it's it was yeah. okay. A lot of trees down, power lines, you know, things like that. Uh, incredible, incredible yeah. waves at the beach. I've exactly. never seen anything like these are it. The, yeah. These are the reasons you don't go outside when there's any type of say, big, huge storm system. And it's true out here. Like, yeah, I would think about the crazy stuff I did when I was a kid, like yeah. run to the garage and stand on top of the garage looking for the <laughs> tornado to come, you know, or running outside to l- survey the, all of the damage after it's gone by. Like, you, right, yeah. you, know, you could get electrocuted. You could have like just all these crazy things. Like, you know, I I'm, Wendy, I really baffle when I think about like how Wendy and I are. have some uh, boat stories that we were trying to out uh, drive storms and didn't didn't weren't able to do it. Our boat wasn't fast enough a couple times on the, the Mississippi and yeah, the Saint Croix. We got drenched. We have pictures to prove it too. Yeah, I look like oh, a gosh. wet rat. But hey, yeah. Doctor Stately, uh, really appreciate yeah. you coming on. Uh, yeah. It's Monday, so Wendy and I are still kind of like trying to get it together here and uh trying to you figure got out what you're doing through. huh yeah by he Thursday. really was very lost without you actually i wish i should tell you that she knows that don't you want <laughs> yes oh, no. i was lost without you okay your fingers were crossed but hey if you're listening to this show you are part of the resistance from chief plenty coops the ground in which we stand on is sacred ground it is the blood of our ancestors we need to resist divest join a group run for office we're still here we are the seventh generation free leonard peltier now 